sincerely thank you. Uh, thank you to, for having us. Thank you for hosting yourselves in this community, hosting Jesus. Um, one of the reasons I want to say y'all are blessed is because that man and his wife sitting on the front row love you guys. To have a pastor that cares for his people the way he does, y'all are in good shape. Brother Kyle, thank you for hosting Revival. Thank you for being my friend. Um, I, I was going to jump up here and say something similar. I think from maybe not the moment we met, but shortly thereafter, it was pretty obvious we were kindred spirits. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful to be here. I want to start tonight by showing you guys a video. If you don't know, that's from the movie Hancock. I do not, I'm not endorsing the movie. Uh, there are some scenes in it that are a little colorful, but that scene illustrates a point that, that we don't have that kind of supernatural power, but we at the same time are not that dissimilar. There are things in our lives that bring us down, things that we love, things that we take part in that, that pull us down lull us to sleep, and ultimately kill us. And in order to live, to really, really live, we have to find out what needs to change in our lives. That's the big idea for tonight. It'll be up here on the screen. In order to live, sometimes things have to change. It's something that a lot of us experience, have experienced in our faith walks at, at different times, moments that absolutely shape us forever, these monumental times. I want to take a very short moment and, and tell you a little bit about who I am and that while I stand before you guys with God's word, I'm, I'm no different than you guys. I'm, I'm no different than any other human. There are things in my life that have had to change you see, I was raised in church. Some people, I think Brother Brad's actually the first one I hear, heard say this, that he started going to church about nine months before he was born. That was me. My mom was a Sunday school teacher. My dad was in the praise band. Um, my dad in the, in the mid-90s was even in a, a, a fairly popular Christian contemporary music band. And the influence of that band led me to playing guitar, and I ended up playing in the praise band. If we had gone somewhere as a church and done Bible trivia night, I probably knew most of the answers, but I'll tell you what I didn't know. Jesus, you can be in church. You can be here right now and not know Jesus. The thing that changed initially was my dad got brain cancer, and I went down a road of destruction before I even knew I was going down a road of destruction. Just before I graduated from high school, he died. And I found outlets for what I was experiencing that were terrible. I, it literally led me down a road of destruction to things that were killing me. I am certain as I stand here, had I continued down that road, I would be dead by now. While my body was alive, I was 
dead inside and headed somewhere horrible. I, I kept living that sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of lifestyle. And at, at a, a certain point, facing a, a family crisis, I, I, I was having a conversation with my wife, and, and she was kind of pushing against me about the attitude I have towards things. And I slammed my fist on the coffee table, and I said, I'm my own rock. I'm the only one I can count on. My dad died on me. My friends have died. Friends have left me. Family's gone. I'm the only one I can count on. And as those words came out of my mouth, some of you guys may know this poster. I've got it actually thumbtacked to my desk in the church. Um, it's the Footprints poster. Y'all ever seen it? It's a, a beautiful beach scene and, and a set of footprints. And the, the story goes that a, a person dies and they, they meet Jesus and, and this, this scene is, is, is taking place over a conversation they have with Jesus. And, and the person ultimately says, Jesus, I, I just don't understand why you left me alone in those times. I know you walked with me, but those times when there's one set of footprints and Jesus, Jesus pulls them in close and says, son, that, that wasn't, those weren't the times I left you alone. Those were the times that I carried you. How foolish was I to think I was my own rock because dead men can't carry anything. It was kind of like what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, that, that I was dead in my trespasses. So I, I lived that lifestyle. The next Sunday after having that that conversation with, with my wife, I didn't know what to do, so I went to church. Hadn't been in a long time, but I went to church, and I listened to Dr. Bob Mounts at First Baptist of Brunswick speak from the book of Matthew chapter 7 about building a house on a rock like maybe God meant for me to be there. And he got through that, that message and, and at, I'm telling you guys, at the end, end of his sermon, um, he, he was kind of walking the stage kind of like I am now. I would have been sitting somewhere in, in that general vicinity, and I promise that church seats about 2,500 people. There were about 1,700 in it at the time. I promise you he walked up and just sure as anything looked at me and said, if there's something wrong in your marriage, it may be you. And there wasn't a soul other than me and him in that church. I had an encounter with Jesus, and it changed everything. Sometimes in our lives, for us to really, really, really live, something has to change. I realized that, that immediately that my, my house, my life, was not built upon a rock. That again, I wasn't my own rock. I couldn't count on myself because I had been dead Lost as a ball in tall weeds, as they say. Philip, I saw that smirk. No way could that single set of footprints in that poster have been mine because, again, dead men cannot carry themselves. That encounter, again, changed everything for me. I finally heard Jesus calling my name, and my body that had been alive the whole time was joined with my soul that was alive for the first time. 
I want to talk to you guys tonight about another dead man that heard Jesus calling his name and it changed everything. That man was revived. I think, so this is the third night I've been here this week. And every evening speaker has mentioned the word revived and what it means to some degree or another. I think it's a pastor thing, a preacher thing where we want to get up here and show you we've studied something. So I want to tell you guys tonight, while everything else that I've heard about the word revived has been very relatable, I'm going to be really technical for a minute. I'm going to tell you that the Hebrew word hayah means to live have life, remain alive, sustain life, live prosperously, live forever, be quickened, be alive, be restored to life or health. And the Greek word zeo, which is the one we're pretty much going to see tonight, similarly means to live, but also means to breathe, to be among the living, the not lifeless, not dead, to enjoy real life. To live in full vigor. That same word, zeo, is the word that Jesus used when he described being the resurrection and the life. In the middle of the Lazarus story, John chapter 11, verse 25, he said, The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. John chapter 11, that's where I'm headed tonight. I'm going to start at verse 38. We're going to read through verse 44. If you brought your Bibles, turn there. Um, If not, it's going to be on the screen behind me. We'll pick the story up just after Jesus explains that, that being the resurrection and the life. And he's coming to Lazarus' tomb. This is a story a lot of us, especially churched people, are familiar with. So I'll give you a little background on, on what's going on here. The book of John, John most likely wrote to Jewish people. These people were, were curious. They, were, they wanted to understand Christianity. And, and this letter, while it's a biography of Jesus' life, it was, of course, written after Jesus' earthly ministry. He had ascended by the time these words were, were on paper and it's written with a very evangelical tone. The, it, it was meant to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah and ultimately for their conversion to take place. He explained it. Paul explained the purpose of the letter. If, you don't have to turn there, but he explained the purpose of the letter in chapter 20 near the end of this book, verses 30 and 31. He said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Coincidentally, that word live, teo, I just explained, it's the same word used right there, that kind of life. Jesus wrote to Jews, I don't mean this in an ugly sense towards towards God's people of the Old Testament, but they were dead. This book was written to dead people. As I prayed about this, Brother Kyle, after, shortly after that September, um, it wasn't September, what, what month are we in? 
whenever it was we last hung out together, <laughs> and, and you texted me asking about revival. And I, you, told, you told us, you admitted this the other night, you wanted us to pray about this, not to just jump up and do it, and it not to be some message that we'd prepared and, and gotten through some time before. I started praying about this, and, and John just jumped out to me as the book. This is, this is where we needed to be. And the Lazarus story, what better story of revival then, of course, Jesus is revival. But what better story of revival than, than Lazarus's story? But I admit to you right now, I started struggling the closer we got to tonight with this story. Like, what's in the story? What, revival's obvious. But, but where's the challenge for the modern church? Where do I take this and, and give you? What's the so what for y'all? What's the take off the grave clothes moment for you guys? So I kept digging, kept hunting, thinking I'm going to have to text Brother Kyle and tell him I'm changing my verses and God would not release me from this story. It just wouldn't happen. Lazarus is known as the one Jesus loved. He was sick. By verse 3 of this story in John chapter 11, his sisters had sent a message to Jesus. So the first thing we're dealing with is people who knew what Jesus was capable of. Brother Brad gave us some C's last night as, as part of his message. If you, if you pick that up, uh, almost every point he made started, I, I drew a C for me, so that's backwards for y'all. Almost every one of them started with a C. And, and one of the things, I think you titled it, what can't he do, right? What is Jesus capable of? They knew what Jesus was capable of. They wouldn't have contacted him otherwise. But Jesus waited a few days before he went to Bethany where Lazarus was. And by the time we get to verse 17, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days Remember, this is being written to Jews. There was a Jewish tradition that when somebody died, their soul hovered near their body for three days and would leave after that. So whatever hope they had was gone. We see an interaction between Jesus and Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, where about, about where they were in, in, with their brother's death, how they were processing, how they were feeling. Martha, in verse 21, says, if you had only been here to Jesus. But by verse 22, she says, yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Despite her, her, her grief and her struggle, Jesus, if you had only been here, she still had a strong faith. Mary, not so much. In verse 32, she echoed Martha's words, if you had only been here. Look, this part of the story, this, this as, as we get to what's actually happening here, This, there's a heading in my Bible called the seventh sign. 
seven. How many do you get? How, how many do you need? Peter is one of my favorite Bible characters because I feel so much like him sometimes. You, you know, Brother Kyle has already alluded to last night my shenanigans and uh, bodily noises and those sorts of things. I never read in this book about Jesus laughing. But I don't read that he didn't either. And he created us that we could laugh. And I want to say beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus probably laughed at Peter a few times. If not, sighed heavily. Kind of like Kyle and Brother Brad have done to me. <clears throat> Look, this, this dude, Peter, he... Jesus is telling parables, and Peter says, hey, Jesus, what, what does that mean? And, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, are you so hard of understanding? Y'all think about that for a second. He's saying, Brother Kyle, you, you, you don't get it yet? You ain't got it yet? Come on, pick up the pace. Where, where, where you at? Peter is one of my favorite characters. But seven times, seven signs in the book of John that Jesus has had seven miracles he's performed trying to show these people he is the Messiah. And after everything they witnessed Jesus do, they still needed another sign. And their responses here are something to see. So again, John chapter 11, verse 38 is where I'm starting. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, he said. This, uh, this idea that Jesus was deeply moved, there's a couple of thoughts here. First of all, remember, Jesus loved Lazarus. Second of all, Mary has just said, if you'd only been here, she's really grieved. It shows his care for his people. Brother Brad, you mentioned that last night. Jesus cares. He shows compassion. He shows concern for his people. And I think as we deal with the Lazarus story, Brother Kyle, will you throw me that water bottle? It's on your right hand side. As we deal with the Lazarus story, we're, think about this for a second. Lazarus was dead. You think Jesus knew where he was? You think he might have been a little heartbroken that, man, I got to bring him back. I got to take him from where he's at and bring him back here with people that needed seven times to see what I can do. And remember, John in, cha in, verse, in chapter 20 said, but he did a whole bunch more than these. These are just the ones I wrote down. So Jesus has got to bring Lazarus back, which means he's got to die again. Doggone, poor fella, you know? So anyway, he's deeply moved. Tells him to remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead for four days. Y'all, four days is dead, dead. That's, that's dead, dead. And in their culture, you know, three days is the soul kind of lingers around in, hope for, in hopes for resurrection. But four days for a Jew is dead, dead. Now, anytime the body starts stinking, it's dead, dead, y'all. Now, 
I don't know how many hunters are in the room. I know there's one who's not here tonight who's been here every night because he promised somebody to take him hunting and he's holding up to his promise, so good on him for that. But I don't know if y'all have noticed how many dead deer there are on the side of the road. This is Georgia. It still gets to around 90 degrees in October and it don't take four days for dead dead to start stinking. Jesus, don't roll the stone away. He already stinks. Don't make us do this. We're already grieving that we've lost our brother. Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. Remember, this book is the people who, who are they're, they're wanting to know who Jesus is. Not only were those people following him around that this is the seventh time they're seeing, but John is writing to people who want to know who Jesus is. They're, they're hearing about Christianity and, and, and they're curious about it. So John's, his, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write that information so that these people understand. And you have Jesus saying, I'm, I'm saying this, I, the God-man, am praying to you, Father, so that they hear it and they know who I am. It's for their benefit. So they'll understand I am the Messiah. You and I are one. After he said this, he shouted, with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, and with his face wrapped in a cloth, Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let them go. The dead man came out. They didn't even use his name. Lazarus didn't come out. He was dead. Remember, this is two dead people. People who are beginning to understand they are dead because of their lack of relationship with the Messiah. They rejected him on earth and sent him to the cross. Now, as this book is being written, as John is penning these words, he is writing to them, the dead man came out. Now look, I told you guys that I was struggling with this, this message, right? And I, I stand here, and, and I can tell you something that Jesus is calling you out of the grave. He's calling you as individuals to change something. He's, he's, he's calling you for whatever weakness you have, and, and, and I, I can say that. I can honestly say that and believe that, that it's true. It's all of us that he's calling the church to change, to be different. But something wasn't right about that for me. And tonight, I had no peace coming here and saying it. So, I bought a new Bible. You think I'm kidding. <clears throat> I had to have it in Holman. Because Brother Kyle reads from Holman, HCSB, at Grace Community Church in Statesboro, um, where, where I'm the senior associate pastor, we read from NIV. 
I study from ESV a lot. I study from NASB a lot. But um, I, don't, I don't know how many y'all can see really well. But on the left-hand side of this Bible, there's a margin. And I write things in there as I study and prepare for a message. And this Bible says HCSB on it. It's not the, that's the only thing I've written in this Bible. If you were to pick up my NIV Bible that's sitting on the bar at my house, it's written all over because it's the one I use. It's the one I preach out of. I bought this Bible for tonight. Amazon got it to the house exactly like they said that was, they were going to. And I cracked the box open and I set it on the table and I turned to chapter 11 and I read the story and I went, yep. That's the same story. <laughs> I didn't buy a new Bible. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> and I said, you know what? In seminary, they told you, make sure you get the context. I've got the context, but I'm going to play the game. God, I need you to help me right now. Uh, how about let's read chapter 10 and chapter 12? So I did. And you see, here's the thing. A lot of times when I was reading the Lazarus story in my Bible or reading it on my phone or reading it on my computer at work or whatever, I was reading 38 through 44, Lazarus, dead man, come out. Take off the grave clothes. And I'd go, man, that's awesome. What can I do with it? Lord, I'm just a youth pastor. Are you trying to send me out here to speak to these people? I don't know what I'm going to say. And in the process of reading... I finished chapter 11, and I got into chapter 12, and I realized it ain't Lazarus, y'all. It's the response to him being revived that changes everything. So here's what I want to do for the rest of our time, is I want to talk to you guys about some of those responses because it became less and less about the, the individual miracle and the responses, which you could say are a miracle themselves. As people responded to Jesus and he changed their lives. So the first response I want you to, to look at is the response. It's the one that everybody knows from the story. It's verse 44. I just read it. The dead man came out. It's Lazarus. That is a response from this story. He had been dead for four days. If you didn't notice, that's dead, dead. He heard the voice of Jesus and responded. He was dead, dead, y'all. Let me, let me rephrase this. If dead people hear Jesus and respond, those of us who are sitting in this room who hear him and don't respond are either not listening or ignoring him. If dead men hear the voice of Jesus and respond... Those of us who are sitting in this room, who are walking this earth with breath in our lungs and don't hear him, it's because we're either not listening or ignoring him. Period. Dot. The second set of responses to, this, to, the, to Lazarus being raised is, is the masses if you, if you check out verse 45, therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. 
Therefore, many of the Jews who came and saw Mary, they, they believed in him, that him is Jesus. People found out what was going on and they came to check it out. And it impacted them. It changed their lives. Remember, y'all, this book is written to Jewish people who want to know about this book being John, not just the whole thing. But this book, John, is being written to Jewish people who are curious about Christians. They're, they're wanting to know information. And here it is. They find out what happens, and it changes everything. They come to faith. They recognize him as the Messiah. It all changes. Here's another group. The self-righteous religious. If you read verse 53, so from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Those people, look, some of the, some of the people, some of the masses that came were looky-loos. Y'all know what looky-loos are? You head out, head out to 516 and find a wreck. You'll figure out where the looky-loos are. <clears throat> the rubberneckers. Some of them were, some of these people who came were rubberneckers. They just wanted to see what was happening. And uh, Brad, I think you said something about gossiping last night, right? They saw what was going on and they went straight to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and said, Jesus is doing a thing. And, and everybody knows that he had beef with, the, the, I should say, they had beef with him. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't like what Jesus was doing. He was challenging their status quo. And let me tell you guys, religious people are notorious for killing the movements of God. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Any numbers? I saw a hand raised from Grayson for one. Brother Kyle says we got to have a committee. I heard one over here. You can't. Thank you, Ed. You can't change that light bulb. My grandma donated it. <laughs> I can say that because I am one. Look, we are notorious for this. Something new, something, something, something good comes along, something different comes along and, and God starts moving through a situation and, or a person or whatever and we get uncomfortable and say, hold up, we ain't doing that. Okay, well, why? Because uh, I don't like it. Well, do you don't like it because it ain't in the book or do you don't like it because you, you're not comfortable with it? Which one is it? Because if it ain't in the book and you don't like it, I can get on board with you. But if you don't like it because you're not comfortable, I'm sorry. The cross wasn't comfortable and we ain't supposed to be like anybody but Jesus. Right. Get over your comfort. There you go. The next group that we see, the next reaction is that of the followers. If we were to keep going down to chapter 12 now, verses 2 and 3. So they gave a dinner. Just before that, I want to remind you of something else. In verse 1 of chapter 12, it says it was Passover. Y'all know what Passover was? It was a celebration of God's provision when he, God led them, led his people. It was, a, it was a remembrance celebration. It was a party for God's people. 
they had probably a banquet hall. They, they, you know, they didn't run out of food. They celebrated. They, they enjoyed their time with one another. This was a party. So they gave a dinner there for him. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with a fragrance of the perfume. Now look, things went from, from stinking back in chapter 11 in the mid-30s to we're having a party. Martha's serving, Lazarus is reclining, Mary's anointing. 39, verse 39, things stink. And by verse 3, there's a sweet smell. How things had changed. Now look, fruit often smells sweet. The flowers smell, smell sweet, smell good. Fruit is evidence of things going on. Biblically, we talk about fruits of the Spirit. It shows God's, God's work in our lives. Fruit is a thing. It's evidence of our faith. For Jesus' followers, at that moment, everything changed because they went from partying to mourning. Excuse me. From, they went from mourning to partying. I, I, I made it backwards. They, they went from mourning and grieving and, and Jesus, don't open the tomb. It stinks. So we're having a party and it smells good. Now look, I know Baptists don't party. We are notoriously stoic. Y'all do know that, right? My boss will periodically tell our praise team, if you love Jesus and that song you're singing means something, remind your face what your heart thinks. <laughs> we are stoic people, y'all, but there's something to be celebrated when Jesus moves. Again, I don't read in the book that he laughed. I don't read that he didn't, though. Liven up a little bit, y'all. He's alive. Here's another group of people that responded. There's false followers. By the time you get down to verse 4 of chapter 12, we're dealing with Judas. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Who cares what the man said? It's written, it matters. Don't get me wrong there. The point is he was about to betray him. Everybody else is partying. It, it's almost like he, he prefers the stench of death. He'd rather smell that. What he ends up saying is, hey, uh, Mary, all that anointing stuff you're doing, that perfume probably could have been sold for a lot of money and we could have done stuff with that money. He's more concerned with that than than the sweet smell in the house while they're celebrating Jesus' company. He's as dead as Lazarus was a few days before. And then one more group I want to talk to you guys about, the hateful religious. 
This is in verse 10. But the chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also. They could not let the man have his moment with Jesus. It it was bad enough that the dude had been dead for four days, dead, dead, in heaven, more alive than he'd ever been. He had to come back. Jesus wept in part, at least, because of that. Then he's hanging out with Jesus. What a testimony. Y'all, if you didn't know it, I was dead, dead. And he brought me back. And I'm hanging out with him. We're having a party. And now those not heads out there want to kill me. What a testimony. Instead of letting his life point to the Messiah, they want to, they want to kill him. We will kill a movement and we will kill those that threaten the status quo. It may not be a literal killing, but sometimes those committees we talk about, they show like to blackball somebody. They show like to make somebody be quiet. I don't, I don't know if y'all notice this about a Baptist church either, but um, sometimes we get a little clicky, and I ain't talking about with the music. Y'all know, what I'm, y'all know what I mean? It happens. I hope it don't happen here. Ain't no heads nodding. Is that because toes are getting stepped on? <clears throat> Jesus threatened comfort zones and changed what was important. They sought to kill him and Lazarus because of it. So what changed? What, what all in those, those list of six, six groups of people, what changed for Lazarus? Jesus' voice caused him to breathe. It caused him to breathe again and to arrive at a party, a celebration. He had been in heaven. Man, what a difficult thing that must have been too. I've talked to y'all a couple times about Jesus and and weeping. He He had deep emotions about having to bring Lazarus back. What about Lazarus? Man, you brought, there's streets of gold up there, y'all. You ever studied that? We, we th- oh, gold, it's going to be pretty. Yeah, it's going to be pretty. It's going to be pretty. But think about a street of gold. I don't know how many people are wearing gold jewelry in here. I don't wear gold jewelry very often because I'm a pastor. I can't afford it. Some people don't wear gold jewelry because they don't want to damage it or get it hurt or whatever. You, don't, you buy your daughter gold earrings. You don't send her to school in those. You wait for special occasions to let her wear them, those kind of things. Look, the things that we think are precious on earth are asphalt in heaven. It's what we drive on. And Lazarus is hanging out up there. And, and what was he doing at the party? He's reclining at the table. He kicked back. You know why? Because Jesus' presence was enough. Jesus' presence was good enough. He didn't have to worry about the rest of it. The masses, they changed. They were, they were curious. They wanted to know what was going on, and it changed everything for them. You ever been curious about something? You say curiosity killed the cat or whatever, something like that. 
curiosity, you approach something to find out what's going on. You sniff around a little bit. They came sniffing around, and an encounter with Jesus changed everything for them. They believed. There were the, the followers. You see, Martha and Mary's reaction Earlier, they had they'd had all kind of grief. But they too found joy in Jesus' presence. Earlier in that story, they're crying. And, and, and it doesn't say it in, in the text. But if I use the BKV... I'll listen to you. I kind of wonder, when, when those two ladies went to Jesus and said, if you'd only been here, if their fists were clenched a little bit, there's a little frustration in their voice. Uh, most of us have, have been there a little bit at some point. If, we, if we're honest, we've been frustrated with God. God, why, why, why is this happening? Why is this going this way? And, and we've wanted to shake our fist. You know, there, there's a song called Do Something by Matthew West, I think. He said, I shook my fist at heaven and said, God, why, why don't you do something? And then God responds, I did. I created you. Sometimes we, we get frustrated. I can't, can't help but wonder if Martha and Mary were a little bit frustrated when, when they shook their fist at, at Jesus, but then his presence changed everything. They sent word to him that, that their brother was sick and they needed Jesus. And he didn't come. And his presence is what brought Lazarus back for them. Jesus' voice and a prayer brought Lazarus from the dead. But their grief was, if you'd only been here. Jesus' presence for them changed everything. It brought their brother back. And a few days later, they're at the party too celebrating, serving, anointing. Do you recognize God's presence? Do you recognize when, when, when the Holy Spirit is present? How do you respond? I hear yes. I see heads nodding. Remember, the, there's some jokes I've told tonight about Stoic Baptists. We laugh because it's true. Why are we so stoic in the presence of the Holy Spirit? I can get reverent. But looking like I need to go eat a prune is a different thing. <laughs> Thank you, Ronnie. <laughs> and then there's the self-righteous. Look, the first three I, I gave you there, Lazarus, the masses, the followers, those are all people who responded in the positive to Jesus. <laughs> There's the self-righteous, the false followers, and the hateful religious. All of them responded in one way or another with rejection. Every one of them responded with rejection. They all refused to allow Jesus to change them. Let me tell you, when Jesus approaches you through his word, through the Holy Spirit, through wise counsel of a faithful brother or sister, and you reject what God is putting in front of you. No decision 
is 100% every single time a decision. No decision is a decision. When, when Stephen started his message yesterday, Stephen, Brad was yesterday, so Stephen was Sunday night. When Stephen started his message Sunday night, he said that God's people, their, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, had, they were in captivity and uh, they were seeking an answer. And one of the things he said was, when you're seeking an answer, there's always somebody ready to give one in the form of a lie. There's a liar, y'all. He's got a name. It's Satan. And him telling you that you have more time and you can wait is a lie. I buried a 19-year-old Friday. I'm standing in front of you right now telling you your time is not guaranteed. And if Satan's telling you you've got time to make the decision, he is lying to you. No decision is a decision. So what? Here we are at that part. I like to ask questions. And so what is the question? What do you guys do with all of this information? Turn to faith. That's the simple answer. Again, Stephen said, there's always somebody willing to give you an answer in a form of a lie. Tonight, if you have not turned to faith, to authentic faith, and really embraced faith in Jesus, why not let tonight be the night? When, when these people, the masses, had an encounter with Jesus, they came to belief because they recognized who he was, and it, it changed everything forever for them. Why not? I'll tell you this. Where two or more gather in the name of the Lord, he's present. You are in the presence of Jesus right now. And if you haven't turned to faith in him, th there's step number one. Step number two, how about, how about some, something like this? Why don't, why don't we allow God to prioritize some things in our lives? What, what if God prioritized marriage in our lives? Those of us who are married, guys, ladies, if you're married, what if we allowed God to prioritize marriage? in our lives. What would that look like? Look, if I were to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 real quick. At verse 25, Paul wrote this, "Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless." When I when I read that, I think about B brother Brad, uh brother Kyle, uh, Glenn, I don't know how many other ministers there are in the audience, but, but if you've ever conducted a wedding and you're standing there and w with a groom and his bride turns the corner and comes through those doors and you hear, a, sometimes you hear a little noise. <clears throat> because he's seen that white dress. He's seen a woman he loves. And she's making her way to him, and she has never been prettier. 
Y'all, when I read that, that's the, that's the image I got. Jesus created the church to be like that, to be beautiful like that, to be a queen coming to her king. And he's saying, husbands, treat your wives like that. Guys, look, if, if, you'll, if you'll do that, if you'll have an Ephesians 5 kind of love for your wife, if you don't feel like you're treated like a king, why don't you treat her like a queen? You want a queen? Treat her like one. Christ sacrificed himself for her. That's agape. That's sacrificial love. That's not what's in it for me. Hey, baby, come to bed. Why don't you sacrifice for her? Ladies, I'm, I can't let you off. I can't, I can't hammer them and then not say something to y'all. Wives, submit to your husbands. I ain't going to go there real long, I promise. Part of submission is understanding the psyche of a man. Men, men need cheerleaders. It's football season. Cheerleaders are on TV along with the football teams. It's there for a reason. And I'm not talking about pretty girls in skimpy clothes. Men need cheerleaders. Ladies, cheer your husbands on. You, 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 you want your husband to treat you like a queen? Cheer him on. And I'm not talking about cheering him on at his dumb ideas. Uh, you know, but rolling your eyes at everything he does ain't going to help him. When he takes the trash out, I don't know, maybe give him a good game, a pat on the back, something. Tell him you love him. Tell him he did a good job. We need it. I'm telling you, we need it. And I love you for it. Thank you. What about, what about this? I heard your voice. I don't know what you said, but I'll find out later. <clears throat> I know who it was. Trust Jesus if you have a calling in your life. If Jesus is calling you to do something, to be something, trust him. What, what, are, are you concerned with how you're going to provide for your family? If he's calling you, he's got that figured out. If, if, if he's calling you to start a Bible study group or to join a Bible study group or to join a small group, to get involved in a church, to become a member, to get baptized because you've already made a faith commitment, but you're holding off because of something, why? Again, the cross wasn't comfortable. Get out of your comfort zone. And respond to that calling and see if he won't change everything. God is speaking. If dead people hear and respond, what are you waiting on? Bless you. Bless you. What are you waiting on? Why, why, why are you not listening? Why, if you hear him, are you ignoring him? Or even worse,
completely disregarding him. Complete defiance. Whatever it is, whether God's calling you to tighten up something in your life, guys, get off that dadgum website. That filth that's on your phones, on your computers, ladies, statistics are out the roof right now, you too. Get off that app. If he's calling you to straighten something out in your life, if he's calling you to respond in faith, if he's calling you to join the church, I think uh, we're gonna, the music team's going to come in just a minute. And, and this is the time to, to respond. If, if you've had any question about whether or not God is speaking, he is. What are you waiting on? Father, I am so grateful that you speak to us. Lord, that you have your word preserved for us, that we, that we hear you through it. God, I'm, I'm grateful for, for men and women who you've put in our lives, who, who have been following you and following you seriously for, for some degree of time, and they're we, willing to speak wise counsel in our lives. God, I'm grateful for men who have responded to the call to ministry and who shepherd your churches and even... Point silly 20-year-olds towards a seminary. God, I am grateful for what you do. I'm grateful for your son. I pray that people in this room respond to him. Lord, and if there's nobody in this room that needs to respond, I doubt it. But if there's nobody in this room that needs to respond, Lord, help them, help them take it to somebody who does. In your name we pray. Amen. You can all look up. I hope all our hearts and minds are at ease. I'm sure each one of us is, is going to take something away from every message we've heard this week. But tonight is, for me, is what I just said a second ago. Not responding is a response. Not responding is a response. So when the Holy Spirit moves upon us, we're to respond in the way he directs us. Amen? How many of y'all were here Sunday morning? Oh, I know you were, Blue. You put your hand down. I, I told y'all Sunday morning uh, when God put all this together that he did it in such a way that it, and for me to know that it was him that I even knew who was going to preach Thursday night if it went over. Y'all remember me saying that? Yeah. And I said, they're here this morning. And then that night I said, they're, they're here tonight. Do you know who knew who that person was? Me and God. I, I didn't even tell her on purpose. It's not that she has loose lips. I just, I didn't want to tell her. <laughs> Jerry, she ain't got to know everything. But no, I just, I, I wanted, I just wanted it, it to be God. After the message last night, I came down and I asked a couple people, I said, Where, where's this person? I, you know, I thought they were going to be here tonight. And they looked at me, eyes got real bright, and said, that's who's preaching Thursday night, isn't it? And I kind of swept it under the rug, didn't say anything. This morning I got a text saying, I've been harassed by some people, and I just want you to know if, if I'm the person who's supposed to preach Thursday night, I'm on. I'm willing. 
So you're going to have to come Thursday night to find out who's preaching. Yeah, they're they're here. Blue, you know who it is? Do you, no, serious. I'm asking. Do you know who it is? Okay, I'm just checking. Not because he told. Funny, me. and that's a funny story in itself. Anybody have a, an announcement that needs to be made before we close in prayer? Any announcements? Tomorrow night, every, listen, listen to me. Everybody in here, we're having a Southern Baptist, or let's just say Baptist. Oh no, let's just, we're, we're all Christians. Amen. Religion sends man to hell and divides people. We're Christians, right? We are having a hot dog dinner tomorrow here on this on the grounds. Everybody is welcome. Is there anybody in here who doesn't like hot dogs? Okay, well you can bring your own. You can have a slaw dog, okay? <laughs> but uh, be here at six o'clock, and then we're gonna get started uh, with the worship at seven o'clock. Uh, listen. How many of y'all think y'all know the craziest person in the city of Savannah right now? Bad, I mean a bad, just crazy, wild, crazy. Okay, well, tomorrow night, you need to be here. <laughs> you, you need to be here. <laughs> Any other announcements? Okay. Uh, do we need to bring anything tomorrow? A snack or chips? Chips and dessert. Okay, chips and dessert. Any other announcements? Let me shout out a praise for a young mom. Yeah, stand up, Paula. Paula, Paula, we had an a, a, a offering here last night. The only time we've done an offering. And Paula, go ahead. Come here. Just come here. Come here. Come here. This is Paula Kiner, the, the CEO of, of uh, Thrive Express Ministry here in Savannah. Uh -huh. And United for Life to His Glory. That's where we're going because we are all that. Um, I reached out on behalf of a young mom that was not a Thrive mom. And uh, Monday was one of those horrible, uh, kind of a rough day. And we kept getting calls. We got calls about a pregnant girl living in a car. We had really serious abortion-minded women at Thrive with, with serious goings-on. And then we got a call from a young woman that said, I hear you help women. And she and her four children, ages eight months to nine years, were about to be evicted. And um, you do not like this, but sometimes I get revved up and I have to be excused, Wanda and Christy put me in a closet. And that was one of those times, I was already done and it was early. And I was like, this is too much. We've got too much, too many needs, too much going on. And the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and said, get quiet and pray. And I did, and I turned my phone off and I sat in my car and I prayed. And he let me know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I had to be a voice for this young woman that I had never met because for her and her four children to be evicted would mean that she would be homeless. And Amy can tell you that it wouldn't have been very long as a homeless mom of four that the babies would have been taken away and put into foster care. 
And this whole scenario played in my heart, and I just got heavier and heavier. And I was like, Lord, we're not going to let it happen. So I got the details. She sent me the eviction warrant. I know there are a lot of doubters. People take advantage. I'm old, and I have been around the block a minute or two. So I did some checking out. Everything I asked her to send me, she sent me quickly and, and did it well. And she was behind because she had made some bad choices about taking her very sick father to doctor's appointments and to the hospital when nobody else in her family would and she had missed work. Everything she said, I mean, I, I just loved the show mom. I've never seen her face. So I started calling our local church partners and pastors and just asking for $1,600 by Wednesday. Which you've never done before. <laughs> it was just like, and I had to be careful. This wasn't a thrive mom. I'm not, you know, so anyway, it, it was an interesting exercise for me because all of the resources that people suggest were not. They were full. There was no help. There was no money, not the homeless authority. Not I mean, it was just like closed doors, closed doors. And so when I asked this one, I think I texted you, and he said, all he said was, let me think about it. I had others that pretty much said, we can't do that right now. We had others that said, there's a process. I said, y'all, we got to a Wednesday. So last night, I was with Wanda and my friend Jennifer, and I get a call from Preacher Man. And I'm like, what is he doing up so late calling my phone? And he let me know that the God of creation had put that on his heart to mention that to you. And I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> I couldn't really breathe because it was one more time that I saw the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God working through his people in his name to reach out and provide for a young woman in a way that you and I know she will never forget. And I told her when I first spoke to her, I said, I can't tell you anything, darling. I can't make you any promises. This is way out of what we really are supposed to do. But I can tell you this. I prayed, and the Lord God put you on my heart. And he is working on your behalf. You need to understand it is him. So then for me to get to tell her the story about you guys. And so I told her about the revival. I told her about Pastor Kyle's request to you and that you came through that it was the body of Christ and guess what her first remark was I want to go to that church <laughs> he is good hey amen that was that was extra I'm sorry well I'm not no I'm not I'm not sorry we also took it to the landlord I got you to tell the landlord oh. about y'all Amen. Amen. Anybody else have an announcement? <laughs> we need teddy bears for Saturday. Our OCC boxes are due Sunday. Right, Tracy? The 5th. Okay, but we can bring them, start bringing them tomorrow, uh, Sunday, Saturday, or Sunday, right? Amen.
Any other announcements? Trunk or treat is Sunday afternoon. Need, yeah, thank you. Bring teddy bear Sunday morning for, for trunk or treat Sunday afternoon. Any other announcements? Look at there, Phyllis Carter. I, I mean, listen to me. Phyllis, bon, is it buongiorno? Just got back from Italy. Good to see you. Any other, any other announcements? All right, let's join hands across the auditorium. As we close in prayer, Ricky Tyre, will you please lift your voice and dismiss us in prayer, brother? Amen. See you tomorrow night, 6 o'clock.